Hi, this is JP Alanis. And Justin Alanis, the co-founders of StoryCo, the platform that's changing the way that IP is created and owned. We're here on the edge of NFT, the platform that's leading the way to learning about the coolest projects at the outer edge of Web3. So keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how StoryCo is an exciting platform that enables creators and their fans to collaborate and share in a story success. Plus, find out about the symmetry and shenanigans of two creative brotherly co-founders. And learn how one ambitious creator plans to make a 10K PFP live in a 20-minute time span. Finally, Outer Edge LA, our awesome community-centric gathering, recently returned to Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. If you think you missed out, there's a way to catch up on all the interactive experiences, discussions, presentations, and more. You can do that simply by going to watch.outeredge.live. You can register with just your email address and get a full recap of over 60 captivating conversations and performances. Binge watchers welcome. Netflix watch out. See you inside. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features JP Alanis and Justin Alanis, the dynamic co-founders of StoryCo. This innovative platform fosters collaboration between creators and avid fans, empowering them to co-create exceptional story franchises and share in their success. JP Alanis, an accomplished development executive, co-founded StoryCo after previously co-creating and leading golf media as the direct-to-consumer media platform and production company founded by Tyler, the creator. Golf Media saw JP overseeing content, development, events, product, and technology, and sales of incubated projects to linear television. With a BA in business and cinematic arts from USC Film School, JP played an instrumental role in the sale of the jellies to Adult Swim and Nuts and Bolts to Viceland. Justin Alanis, the other co-founder of StoryCo, is a seasoned entrepreneur with expertise in technology and private equity. He is an active core community member at various decentralized organizations that invest in and nurture emerging Web3 technology companies. Justin's experience includes founding and serving as CEO of a data analytics technology company, which was acquired in 2018. In addition to his work with tech startups, Justin is a proactive investor in the startup ecosystem. Finally, StoryCo is a revolutionary open storytelling platform that allows storytellers to effortlessly create and publish multimedia stories. By engaging and cultivating a fan base, they can develop these stories into vast universes, harnessing the creativity and ideas of their community. Justin and JP, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thanks, guys. We're excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. Excited to have you guys here and should say that we've been longtime fans of what you guys are doing. Thanks to Gordon for introducing us. Man, almost a year ago, and it feels like a lot's happened in the space and in your world are ours since then. And glad you guys could be part of Outer Edge LA as well. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, yeah. Where are you guys based today? We're in different places, actually. So Justin and I are brothers, if you couldn't tell by the name. Uh, or by the difference in good looks also. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all the intelligence <laughs> and charm. <laughs> I'm in LA and Justin is up in Oakland. Nice. Ethan's in Chi-Town and I'm actually back in my previous home base, Washington, D.C. at the moment after a brief stop in Boston where I got to see the uh, Celtics crush the Hawks game two. We'll see you in the NBA Finals. Another Lakers-Celtics Finals. That will be super fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm into it. And I love both teams at this point because I've been in LA for about eight years. That'd be a fun story in the making. And speaking of stories, you guys are definitely doing some things to revolutionize IP, the way it's created, the way it's owned, how it moves top to bottom, centralized, closed system to bottom up, decentralized, which is a word we like. 
a lot when it matters in the space. Would love to sort of hear more about the founding story and implications. But you don't have to start it when you guys met. At birth, let's stick to the actual like company itself and how you guys came together here. It's really cool. Yeah, amazing. Happy to kick it off. Ethan talked a little bit about my background. But when I got into Web3, I started to meet all these entrepreneurs, founders in the space, and started to really understand and realize the amount of innovation that was happening in the space and what the future of the space could offer in terms of new ownership models and new access models. And I started getting deep into the NFT space. I bought a couple of CryptoPunks. I minted a Bored Ape. And I got totally fixated on the future of what media could look like through the face of NFTs and could see towards the future also what was happening in the artificial intelligence space, although that was still really, really early in that space. My brother, JP, was producer in Hollywood and we got to talking and JP started seeing a lot of things that were happening within Hollywood that maybe he could talk about really quickly where our mutual insights, I think, came together in a really unique and interesting way to found StoryCo. I never thought we were going to be able to work together. We just like worked in completely different sectors and different spaces and obviously great friends as brothers, but like never did I think that we would find something that we could really work on together. And this just fits so perfectly in both of our skill sets. And it's been such a pleasure working with my brother. And it's so nice because we do come from such different worlds career-wise that there's not a lot of overlap. I think the great thing about a co-founder relationship is when you don't have that overlap and you can kind of operate in your own kind of verticals and you're really complimentary. So that's been really fun. I was just to say congratulations, guys, on being able to work together as brothers because, you know, it could go either way. A hundred percent. hundred percent. There's still time. There could, There's still really time. Yeah. Time for it to go stuff. JP and I have never had a major argument. It's pretty incredible, actually, throughout our entire life. We've like never had a major argument. Are there any disagreement resolvements that include a, what is it called? Like a suplex or something like yeah, that? No, like I any never, wrestling never, move that. that you no, guys have had. to use to resolve disagreements? Okay. I'm just super curious how many like sibling companies have been founded. I guess I could ask ChatGPT that. I don't have to ask you guys, but it's fascinating stuff here. I think there's a few of them, right? The most notable is obviously Stripe where with the Collison brothers, where it's a... I don't even know what the value of that business is at this point. But I was actually watching something that Sam Altman talked about that was non-AI related that when he was running Y Combinator. And he said that the most successful startups are founded by founders who intimately know each other, right? The relationship where you just kind of come together as a transa- from a transactional nature and found a company together, it actually often dis- dissolves, disintegrates because you can't go through those really, really complex times, those hard times together. The, the relationship's not stable enough. And so having a brother or a best friend from early childhood, those tend to be the most, the relationships and the businesses that actually thrive the best because you can withstand those really, really hard times together. That's awesome. I mean, let's talk a little bit more about the result of all this story co. And you've got the sort of collaborative storytelling focus in the Web3 domain, which is a very interesting place to explore. Can you give us an idea of the mechanics here of how storytelling gets achieved in a new creative way? Yeah, I mean, I think we can maybe start off by just addressing some of the like the existing problems around IP generation as it exists in maybe traditional media, and then kind of dive into how we're trying to solve some of those problems. I think there's two issues. I mean, there's a lot of issues, but let's talk about two. I think the first one is that creating IP is a really tough road to do it traditionally. There are a handful of gatekeepers that get to decide who gets to play. The pool of people that do get to play is gatekept as well, right? Like it's really hard to become a creator in Hollywood. You got to jump through a million hoops. I mean, geographical, socioeconomic, right? Like it's intense. Yeah, there's a whole ladder to climb as well. And it's, it's not just a ladder. I imagine like it's kind of Donkey Kong kind of ladder, right? Where you climb the ladder and they got to jump over here and do this. You get bonked on the head by something. Yeah. I mean, you got to make the decision to like move to LA and then convince an agent to represent you. And then you start out as an assistant making a non-livable wage. And if you have student loans, like that's probably not even viable for you. So like who gets to play here? Very, very, very select people get to play. 
And that has no bearing on how creative you are, the ideas that you can come up with. It is not merit-based whatsoever. I mean, it's merit-based, I think, once you get in at some point. But to enter that ecosystem is not a meritocracy. I think the other problem is in the last couple of decades, I think the gap between creator and fan, I think, has has really started to uh, just narrow, right? I think fans want to be closer to the IP that they love. I think IP has become more ingrained into people's identity. I think you see that at things like Comic-Con and you see that in the rise of cosplay and all these things. You see that in the rise of fan fiction. People want to be contributing to these big narrative universes. They want to feel like a part of it. And how do we facilitate that kind of closer relationship between artist and fan? And I think at StoryCo, we strive to solve both of those problems. And I can pass it to Justin to kind of get into how we're doing that. Yeah. Before you do, I just have to add this funny facet going back to like climbing the ladder and doing the low wage internships. It reminded me, this has been around for a while. It's a website. It's called Stuff White People Like. It's a blog. And <laughs> number 105 is unpaid internships. It says in most of the world, when a person works long hours without pay, it is referred to as slavery or forced labor. For white people, this process is referred to as an internship and is considered an essential stage in white development. Well, anyways, that applies to Hollywood, to all races, right? That, that happens to the best of us. But it's an excellent description of how internships evolve. Yeah, it's crazy when we interview people who come from traditional Hollywood, the nightmarish stories that they tell us of being an assistant to some producer who treats them horribly, just absolutely terribly. And this is the status quo in Hollywood. You saw what happened with Harvey Weinstein, right? This is the corrupt culture that exists within Hollywood today outside of just the nature of like the people who get to go in. And I even saw recently uh, this whole thing about all the actors, kids are now the ones who are now coming out and being the new stars and the new writers and all of that. And so there's a huge amount of nepotism within the industry as well. And so if you're someone in, I don't know, Nigeria, which are one of our first artists who's working with Kyle Killen, uh, well, we'll get into all this, but he comes from Nigeria. He's a 20 year old at school in Nigeria. Now he's getting access to amazing actors and writers. And he's doing all the illustrations for one of the backstories for the disco ball. And it's this incredible experience that we've been able to witness where now we're starting to see the talent that exists out there and give them the deserved exposure that I think it warrants. Yeah, I appreciate all that. And I think that Web3 gives us some special superpowers when it comes to co-creation that, that weren't around. I mean, I... Shout out to Legion M, right? One of the early sort of pioneers in trying to get fans involved in creating different types of things, but certainly a different level of engagement with what they're doing relative to what you guys have cooked up here in much more sort of making the sausage and excited about sort of how you're sort of creating this experience with the disco ball, which is one of the new things that you guys have been working on. Would love to understand more about it and how it functions. Sure. The first thing to really understand, going back to what JP talked about, is that we're creating a platform first and foremost. We believe that the energy, the network, the creative powers of all these people from around the globe should be expressed in platformed environment where there's a product that harnesses all of this energy and allows people to create new multimedia stories and allows them to both distribute those stories in a front-end interface that feels like motion comic. It's a multimedia comic, basically, where it's a scrollable narrative experience that feels like a livable, breathable storyboard with audio and visual elements that come into this viewing experience. And it layers in all sorts of other multimedia elements, live action, short animation, things like that. And so a new way to create, a new way to distribute, but also the ability then to engage and bring fans into the fold, build an audience around that creation, that story, and then also bring those audience members in as co-creators and co-owners of that story in order to expand that universe. So that's the premise of what we're doing. The Disco Ball is our way of producing our own first production, our own first story, and demonstrating to everyone the power that this platform can deliver to the art of storytelling and the future of storytelling. And so the Disco Ball is a multimedia, immersive, and interactive story. 
that we have partnered with really amazing Hollywood creator, someone like kind of inside the gates named Kyle Killen. He was the showrunner and producer of the Halo series on Paramount and the Fear Street series on Netflix and a couple of network series on ABC and Fox. We paired him with these amazing artists out of LA named Shelby and Sandy who are doing all the storyboarding, all the illustrations, all the character design. And then we're pairing them with these musicians named Superposition, Grammy-nominated musicians who are doing all the soundscape and sound effects. And so starting to bring all these multimedia elements to the table with these amazing creators. And the idea behind the Disco Ball is that we're taking our community on this amazing storytelling journey where they actually become a part of the story itself. They're actors almost in the story. They're going to be finding clues, solving puzzles, going on this immersive IRL and digital journey, and also engaging in what would be, we think, an incredible television show or movie that would probably air on HBO or Showtime, but it's being told through the StoryCo platform. That's the quality and the nature of the story that we're developing here. And then the idea is that we're slowly opening our gates to new production companies, co-producers, and creators to tell new and exciting stories and push the boundaries of storytelling on the platform as we open up these creator tools. Very cool. And just a quick clarifying question. I'm trying to get a scope of the gravity of what we're talking about here. How many sort of creator collaborators are getting together to pull this off? For the disco ball? Yeah. Quite a few. <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on what you mean by collaborators. But I mean, we have obviously an internal team working on the development of this. We have Kyle who's writing the entire thing. He's doing that himself. We have artists who are creating, again, as Justin said, Shelby and Sandy, creating all of the artwork, musicians. And we have really amazing A-list actors doing a lot of the voices and performances for all of this. We have voice directors who are directing them. All of these different sort of creative elements are coming together to create this production. And because we believe that the disco ball is going to create this foundation for this narrative universe that people can start to build on top of once we tell this core narrative, we're trying to prove a lot of those theses that we have around community co-creation early on. And I think Justin alluded to this a little bit earlier, but we have this major character in the Disco Ball. He's our main antagonist. And Kyle has written an entire backstory for that character. And an A-list actor has recorded the VO for that backstory already. And we wanted to test some of our theories. So we said, who's going to create the art for this backstory? Maybe it's not Shelby and Sandy because we are almost going into his past. Maybe the visual style is different. What if we could just find someone who could possibly do this. So we put a bounty out there. We got tons of submissions from artists all over the world. We had our producer token holder community evaluate all of the submissions that came in. They narrowed it down to three. We had those three do a little bit of additional work that we presented the producer token holder community, and they picked a winner. And we couldn't be happier with the artists that they picked. His name is Anu. He's 20 years old. He lives just 15, 20 minutes outside of Lagos, Nigeria. He's an art student there. And the things that he's been coming back to us with are absolutely incredible. And I think it's just like a microcosm of what we believe. It's the tip of the iceberg, really, for us, right? It's just the first sort of proof that there are all these amazing creators out there that have the ability to contribute meaningfully to big IP. Because we have amazing Hollywood writers doing this. We have A-list actors doing this. And we have Anu. And he's fitting in like a glove. Like the things that he's producing are just uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And he's not someone that would have necessarily come into the mix through the normal process. That's really cool. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, not necessarily at all. I mean, it reminds me of sort of some of these Web 2 stories, right? Of the similar, some kid in Africa who is making homemade helicopters from junkyard parts and he gets to go to MIT or something because somehow they found him and they wouldn't have previously. That had been said, I mean, let's talk about this promise that Web 3 is going to allow creators and fans to dominate, right? It's exciting. It motivates us. It helps move the space forward. But there was a Web 2 promise that musicians would be able to take control of the production process and distribution process and cut out the middleman, blah, blah, blah. In a recent conversation, I think it was at our closing talk on music at the main stage of Outer Edge, it was this idea that you listen to Spotify. I walk into a store and they're playing some cool music. And I say, hey, 
this is great. Who is this? And the person at the counter says, I don't know, it's Spotify, right? <laughs> and so all of a sudden Spotify, it gets all the credit and all the money and the creator's sort of like in the background and they're making like two cents a play. And I don't know. So briefly, cause we have some other questions to, to cover, but like how much do you feel like this promise is going to be fulfilled with web three? And I guess like AI, what do we have to worry about? How can we defend against like the negatives that might occur here? I was going to comment that actually, I think Web3 is this enabling technology more so than the distribution engine for a lot of this. The traditional Web2 based products like a Spotify experience or what you see, what Audius is doing in the music space in Web3 are, I think, a little bit more what we're going to see from a traditional distribution perspective. You still need to centralize that distribution in some way, have marketplaces of information, marketplaces of creativity. But AI, you talked a little bit about like, are the creators actually going to take control of this process? I think AI is this like has this barbell effect to help us both take control of the process, but also lose control at the same time, right? Where creators can now create because the barrier to entry for creation is so, so low now, or and it's getting even lower, where anybody can eventually will be able to create a Hollywood level motion picture, right? We're probably three, four years away from somebody being able to type in a prompt that wants to emulate the Mandalorian style. And then guess what? The Mandalorian is on your screen and a character is moving through that screen in exactly the way that you prompted, right? We're on the precipice of this. That's completely game-changing. But the distribution element of how those stories get distributed is still going to be, I think, fairly centralized. But Web3 becomes this underlying substrate to allow for new ownership and access models that doesn't exist in traditional Web2 media. On the other end of the spectrum, I saw this recently too, where you saw like somebody created a Drake song, right? The other day, Part of My Sleeve or something like that, it's called. And it got huge amounts of play. And people actually thought it was Drake. And it was a collaboration between Drake and The Weeknd, but it was actually an AI. It was a guy using an AI bot. I didn't listen to that. Yeah, I heard of it. Yeah. It's actually really good, right? And people thought it was real. And so at the same time, there's this worry that artists are going to lose control of their underlying IP and the art associated with that IP. I think StoryCo, I think a Web3 also helps solve this, right? Web3 and AI kind of need to go hand in hand where there needs to be some sort of way to authenticate what is real and what is not real in a digital age where AI can mimic literally anything, right? In terms of deep fakes, IP creation, all of that. And StoryCo we see as having a central part in both helping solve that problem using fundamental underlying Web3 properties and technology, and also leveraging AI to help lean into the good parts of AI where it can enable creators to create really amazing creations together and augment their existing creations and new creations. Yeah, it's really cool. And I was going to ask about the story pass, and I still will, but... I have an idea there that I'm curious if you guys have conjured up as well. So you've got the story pass, which we're excited about. It motivates the community to develop the narrative and decentralizes IP. And there's some features and advantages to this that I know that, that you guys have sort of thought about. And I'd love to get the details there. But it also crosses my mind that it'd be really cool to have AI like program to proxy vote for me based on my natural preferences when I have too many things going on, right? If we're all going to be part of all these co-creation communities, we're going to be making a lot of decisions. And I do wonder now if I can have AI help me with doing some of the proxy voting. I think you're onto something there. I kind of like that. Uh, listen, I think AI is going to help augment a lot of what we do, right? You're already starting to see it with these agent GPTs where now you can run an inline command and it'll go out there and try to complete that task. And, and this is like the very infant stages of this. But AI is going to allow for us to have better UI, so better user interface or better audio interface, better visual interfaces. It's going to help us have understand our underlying dynamics of our thought processes and what we would or wouldn't do under certain circumstances. And I think people are going to be ultimately able to determine how much control they want to deliver over to their AI assistant for things like what you're talking about, Josh. It's like, yeah, just go vote for me or rather present all the things I need to vote on, learn from me over time, and then present what you think I'd do. And then I just press a button that says yes. Yeah, yeah. At least give me a recommendation or two, right? I'll tell you what I'm concerned about. And we're on a little bit of an AI tangent here. Ethan's concerned about my opinions, like 
twisting the story because he's a little bit better at this stuff than I am when it comes to... I was thinking of this, right? Like, And I've been using AI extensively lately. In fact, I use AI to generate an email response to like an annoying email that I had. And in a graceful way, and I was like, oh my gosh, AI, you're so tactful. (laughs) But I think what's interesting is, especially in the text-based domain and in the visual arts domain, we're utilizing AI to make creations for us and make us sound good. And then we're putting our name and our stamp on it. You're going to run into a weird situation where I'm a blogger who's got a ton of incredible blog content. And they asked me to give a TED talk and I'm going to stand up there and it's going to be like Cyrano de Bergerac, right? I will not know what to say, right? Because I'm used to having AI kind of cultivate my language. And that's kind of how I look as the intellectual. I'm just the eloquence. I think it's going to be very hard to translate my persona as an AI assisted sort of eloquence, right? Into the speaking domain and the actual intelligence domain. Yeah. What's this going to do to our, like all of the dating lives out there where all of a sudden there's an AI assisted dating robot that's like, tells you exactly what to say to get the date. And then you show up in real life. And And the real people uh, show up and they're just like, (laughs) uh. (laughs) well, guys, while we're still making our own decisions for the most part, tell us a little bit more about this pass and some of the fun perks that that you guys have built into the model. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for getting us back on track, Josh. No, I I mean, look, we're working on a new sort of podcast and this is fun stuff to talk about. And this is like signaling that we need to sort of do this show that we've been conjuring up. But alas, we're really excited about the past itself as it's created at this moment in time before we start throwing some AI into it. Yeah, I mean, I happen to talk about StoryPass and I think it's important to understand, you know, kind of how we're rolling out the disco ball it's kind of backwards in the Web3 way. I think it's forwards in the traditional way, but usually people sell an NFT and then make a bunch of kind of promises of what that NFT is going to be. And we're going to tell this whole story. And once we have this budget and this treasury, and we're going to use it to do all these things, we're going an opposite way. We are creating the entire narrative and we're going to take people on this adventure. And at the end of that adventure, we're going to say... Here's the NFT. If you want to continue this adventure and you want to be a part of this adventure as it moves into sort of every direction, we've set the path for you and we've kind of got the momentum here. And I think the thing that terrified me the most about doing it this way was doing all this work, selling an NFT that sort of represents your governance over where the story goes in the future and having a whole bunch of speculators who don't care about the narrative and don't care about the IP, who just want to see price go up, be controlling where this piece of IP goes. And so the question became, how do you create the nucleus of your community? I mean, of course, speculators have a role to play in the marketplace, right? And they have a role to play, I think, in Storyco, in the Disco Ball. But how do you create the nucleus of your community, how do you identify the super fans that are really going to drive this thing the way it should be driven? Because you're really kind of giving the keys over to them. And and StoryPass is a soulbound NFT, and it charts your journey and your participation through the narrative. And so at certain points, if you read a chapter, if you solve a clue, if you contribute meaningfully along the journey, you're going to collect moments in your StoryPass And then we can start giving outsized rewards to the people who are contributing the most to that ecosystem and really build the nucleus of this decentralized community around our our most fervent super fans. So it solves a number of issues for us. Number one, it helps us identify who our core community is when we hand over the reins to them to some degree over the future of this universe. It allows us to nurture that community and also gamify the experience in some ways, which we feel like is an important aspect of a lot of the the way that the future of the world is going to work and developing a system of incentives and rewards that we think are powerful motivators for contribution and creativity. I love it. And we're thinking about all this stuff with our company as well. And Outer Edge LA, we had a community day that we co-created with the community and and we're always trying to get folks involved. So it's going to be fun to be part of the journey with you guys. And also we'll be working on our Swoops basketball game. We'll be co-creating your next production. We're going to have to set up some new meetings, Ethan, for all of these uh, co-creation responsibilities, but it'll be fun times. Indeed. 
All right, let's hit one last question before we go on uh, Quick Hitters, which is going to be very fun with you guys, I'm sure. That last question is really just about the roadmap. We always like to kind of hear what people have got, cooking, anything we didn't share already, partnerships, collabs, features we might look out for. Do we cover everything or are there some secrets to reveal? So the most relevant thing on the horizon for us, there's a couple of things, but the most relevant one is the launch of the disco ball. It's coming imminently. We're not even going to say when because it's coming so soon and it's going to be in a way that we think is really, really cool. And it's going to be in a way where people have to kind of keep their eyes open. It's going to be in a very like secretive hush hush way. So everybody needs to keep their eyes open. And we're doing that through a prologue activation. And then we're going to launch actually chapter one on the actual story platform soon after. After that, we're working right now on a bunch of different co-production partnerships that will help us determine our lineup for post-disco ball life on the StoryCo platform. And we're building out, as I said earlier, all these creator tools so that eventually we can open up these creator tools so that the disco ball can become this expansive universe with creators creating backstories and side stories and using a shared treasury to be able to take the disco ball universe in various directions. And also for new creators to create new stories on the StoryCo platform, build an audience on the platform. So all of that's coming over, I would say, the next nine months to a year. Perfect. Anything else to add, JP, or should we move on to quick hit us? I think Justin hit everything. Yeah. I mean, excited for the next month. It's going to be a month and a half, two months is going to be really, really big for StoryCo. So keep your eyes peeled for some very interesting in-world things that we're doing. I wish I could say more. Yeah. The theme is keep your eyes open. You may get hit in the face by a disco ball at some point. If you do not, <laughs> make sure you're ready to duck. <laughs> It's launching. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. All right. So Edge Quick Hitters, this is a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 quick questions. We're looking for just a short, single or few word response, but feel to expand if you get the urge. We'll try to hit answers from both of you guys. Are you ready? Yes. As I'll ever be. All right. First question. We'll go to Justin first. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? The first thing that comes to my mind is a Frank Thomas gold-plated baseball card because... It's funny, like I was watching TV, this goes to show how much the medium of how you buy things has changed over the years. But I was watching a late night TV show where this guy came on and he's like, he's pitching all these baseball cards and he's like, you know, shouting. He's like, this is an amazing card. One of 20, you know, like that. And I run in our dad's room and I say, dad, I need to get this card. I, I got to get this card. And must have had a credit card or something at that point, calls up an 800 number to buy the Frank Thomas card. That Frank Thomas card is now owned by my son. So I still have it. I gave it to him. He's a, now a big baseball card nut, but a precursor to my future of my NFT days, no doubt. Perfect. Yeah. Common theme there. I notice here, of course, we could ask the other person what they think the other person was their first purchase, of course. But <laughs> if, if any of those come to mind for any of these answers, it'd be fun to hear uh, what you thought they were going to say. JP's was probably Beanie Babies. <laughs> probably. I was going to say, and this is like a weird story that I don't even think you remember, Justin. But I think the first thing I remember buying is the Friends soundtrack. I was like... The show. The show. But the soundtrack. Like the scene. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I heard the song. I loved it. And then I lent it to my brother and he scratched it. And I got so mad and it skipped. 
that I went and I stole one of his signed baseballs because I was so upset. And then I hid it in my closet. And then everybody, like my whole family was like looking for this baseball. And I knew it was in my closet and I had done it as like some sort of revenge. And then I had to like fess up to it. And I just remember that like so vividly. Yeah. I love the little things little kids get upset about, right? It really makes you reflect on what you get upset about as an adult, right? And be like, well, you know what? I'm probably getting upset about stupid stuff too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just bigger items, more expensive. At least now my kids can't scratch my CDs because we don't have any CDs anymore. There you go. All right. Let's hit this next question. We'll go back to JP. What is the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? Oh my God. I used to sell um, used golf balls on the side of the, like at a golf course. A la Warren Buffett's early life. Yeah. Was that right? I didn't know Warren Buffett did that. Yeah. I think he would do that. He'd collect the golf balls from like the swamps and the golf course. That's what I did. Yeah. And of course with Warren Buffett, I think he turned it into a business where he paid other kids to go collect the golf balls. Amazing. I mean, (laughs) half the fun of it for me was finding the golf balls. So (laughs) that was like going golf ball fishing, like right at dusk, like right when there were no golfers and then getting all these golf balls, putting them in bleach overnight to like make them look nice. And then I had like an egg cartons like set up and I'd put all the golf balls in egg cartons and I'd be there like selling golf balls for like 25 cents a pop. Yeah. Beautiful. Well-organized and structured. Justin, how about you? First thing you remember selling? selling. First thing I ever remember selling was probably, honestly, like the first thing I truly remember selling was uh, software at my first startup where it was like a founder-led sales experience, had to go sell the first million dollars of software there. And that was a really interesting experience for me, just hitting the ground having to talk to clients and convince them to buy something that we hadn't even created yet, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's the best way to do it, to be honest, because if they don't buy it, you know not to create it, right? If they buy it, you create it. If they don't buy it, don't create it. I think there's another word for that called vaporware. (laughs) That's it, man. So Justin, back to you. What is the most recent thing you purchased? An EcoSapiens NFT. I just bought one the other day. I'm pretty big in the refi space the regenerative finance space, our mutual relationship with Gordon and New Atlantis. And EcoSavings is this very cool NFT project that as you upgrade the NFT, you actually capture more carbon. And so it's this very new and novel concept. And the the art is amazing. And I'm just like really bullish on the opportunity and idea to create underlying infrastructure, financial infrastructure that benefits humanity through the lens of NFTs and crypto. Yeah, I love it. And dig what Gordon's doing. There's an earlier episode where we interviewed Gordon on a panel at an event. I believe it was at UCLA. JP, what about you? The last thing I tried to buy this morning was, I don't know if you guys all saw in the sneakers app, they had a bunch of pairs of Jordan 1 Chicago's go up this morning. And I wasn't successful in that. I got an L but I tried to buy those this morning. I was really upset. I'm sure you can buy them this afternoon at 10x the cost this morning if you want. I was so close. Like it was, I thought it was going through, Uh, uh, but you know, alas. Next time, what is the most recent thing you sold? I'm a big LAFC fan. I'm a big soccer fan and I have season tickets to LAFC. So sometimes when I can't go, I sell my tickets. That's the last thing I sold. Well, yeah, I just bought some tickets for the Celtics. It was like a $55 per ticket charge. It's like one third to more of the cost is the ticket sale. So we got to web three that industry soon. And I mean, for sure. And I mean, it's become such a pain in the ass to sell tickets too. Cause like, even if you're only selling, I mean, if you have tickets a lot and you just can't go now you have to file it. If tickets are obviously like sales of tickets have become regulated now and you got to put it on your taxes and you got to fill out a bunch of forms on Ticketmaster. Even if you sell like just to release the money for one ticket, even if you're not paying taxes on it, you have to go through this rigmarole. So, right. There's that new box on the tax form. Have you sold or bought tickets this year? Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Justin, what about you? Yeah. Same question, Justin. Probably another NFT. Frankly, the most recent thing I've sold is an NFT. I sold the Board Ape Yacht Club, whatever Outerverse. What do they call their metaverse? Yeah, right. Name? You're making it hard to remember, man. By giving other us side. all sorts of wrong words. Yeah. Other, other side. side. The other side golden. I had the passes for the other side because I had a board ape and a mutant ape, and so I decided I do not want to participate in whatever they're doing from a gaming perspective. And so I'll sell these things. And so I sold them. All right. Perfect. 
Providing liquidity in the NFT market. Thank you, Jason Alanis. All right. Next question back to you, Justin. What is your most prized possession? Don't really have a prized possession, honestly. There's nothing that I can say like this is something that I would never give up. I guess my house, maybe. I guess it's probably the most logical thing that I can think of. We spend a lot of time and energy. It's like a nice place. That's your house behind you? Yeah, this is our ADU actually behind me. Yeah. Very cool. All right. JP, what's your most prized possession? I have a watch that was passed down to me from my godfather who I was really close with and passed away when I was younger and gave it to me. I would say that I love watches as like the symbol of like something that can last and decided to pass that down to my children one day. Beautiful. I love that. Although neither of you did say my relationship with my brother is my most prized possession, but you know, it's okay. (laughs) I was thinking physical good, but you know, a lot of spiritual things. Back to you, JP. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service experience that is currently for sale, what would that be? Oh gosh. Currently for sale. Isn't there an NFL team for sale right now? I would buy an NFL team. (laughs) Is money not an option? I mean... Yeah. Money's no object. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I would buy a... NFL franchise. (laughs) Washington JP would be new owner. Actually, I'll answer this question right now. We'd do it together and we would be co-owners of the Washington Football Club, I think is what they call themselves now. Washington Commanders. Yeah. Commanders. (laughs) We'd change the name. We'd change the name. (laughs) And they would use their community to write the storylines for the season. A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Nice guys. All right. Well, guys, I guess let's start with Justin again. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? My tenacity. I think both my kids have it, but in different ways, it expresses itself. Um, as JP could probably testify, I'm an incredibly tenacious, resilient, and just like a person that will not stop at pretty much anything to get the things that I feel are right. I love it. What about you, JP? Maybe a curiosity. I get interested in very weird stuff, and then I go really down the rabbit hole on it. And then I stop getting interested in it and get interested in the next thing. (laughs) But I think it's just a constant curiosity of like wanting to just dig a little bit deeper into so many different things. Yeah, I see the symmetry, guys. Persistence and curiosity is the entrepreneurial journey. I love it. So JP, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? Oh, gosh, my inability to focus on one thing, I should say. (laughs) Justin, are you super focused on one thing at a time? Pretty focused on one thing at a time. Yeah, I think that's where JP and I thrive is JP's more of the creative powerhouse of the brother duo. And I can be more back office, business development, sales, and like really keep us on task. We definitely thrive in that environment for sure. So is that your trait that you'd eliminate being too focused or is this something else? No, that's something I've had to develop actually over time. I think like my impulsivity is something that I would want to eliminate for future generations and more like creating a more structured and regimented habit building environment for my kids is definitely like top priority for me. I've got some NFTs to sell you. I'm going to text you right after this. You can tell like from all my purchases and sales, I'm like an NFT junkie, right? Like my wife has to hold me back. There's no doubt. Back to you, Justin. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Talk to JP. JP and I were on a call talking about the podcast and also just a bunch of other things that we needed to do and get done. Sounds about right. Preparing and planning. We appreciate that. JP, any nuance to that? Or is that the same answer for you before joining us on the podcast? Same answer. I was pretending to listen to my brother on a phone call. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I hear it. All right. Next one is, what are you going to do next after the podcast? JP, what's your thought? I have not eaten lunch yet, so I would love to do that. But I know Justin's going to call me right after this. And we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. So I will probably be listening to my brother while uh, pretending something. Pretending yeah. to listen to your brother while eating something. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> Justin, what about you? Will you be calling JP? I will be calling JP. We will be talking through a couple of things, probably first downloading on this. And then secondly, finalizing a couple of things that we need to get out the door today. Beautiful. Sounds great. Thank you so much, guys. That was really fun. It's always fun to have duos that know each other go through these questions as a little bit of, of an element of, of more interest and fun to it. So appreciate that. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio. 
where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Okay, it is time for our new and very special segment sponsored by Swoops. Swoops is bringing basketball to the blockchain, allowing us to draft, train, and strategize our way to running the court and winning real money competitions. Of course, in a previous episode, we let you know that we've got our own Swoops team. We got to give a sneak peek at the name, and we asked you for your input on naming one of our players. We'll continue to put the votes out there on socials and get your feedback. But today, we're going to dive into revealing the team branding as well as a bit of our newly formed roster. I think the first thing we'd love to do is talk about our team name, which we hinted at in a previous episode, but take a little time to talk about the thought process and why we chose it. Josh, can you pull up one of those tabs that features our name and branding? Awesome. So yeah, we chose Outer Edge Travelers as our name. Of course, like we did think of some other names that were probably terrible and funny. I think we were really reaching towards... We had to decide whether we wanted to hit that Outer Edge event as part of our branding or we wanted to just go to Edge of NFT. And clearly, we had so much fun with Outer Edge and it speaks to so much that we stand for that we thought we'd give a little nod to the Outer Edge branding. And then also have not just the outer edge team, right? But to add something to it that spoke to our values and things like that. So yeah, look, we've all done a lot of global traveling. I think at this point, outer edge of is a global media company. We've been to events all over the world and it just felt good. I don't know. Can you think of any of the alternative names that we had there, Josh? I mean, maybe... I would like not to think of them because they were particularly not so good. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it was not an easy decision to come to this. But it was one of those things similar to like how we named the podcast where when the right name came out, everything else just disappeared. Yeah. All right. Well, let's bring up some of our competition in terms of names. I think we killed it there. I mean, I have to say... The competition here is around creative naming. I think we've already won. We've got like the blockchain burners, the Boston blockchains. I do like the word Boston. The Denver cyber bombs, Unchained Web, Legends, Killer Bites, Mechanical Bulls. Yeah, I got to say, I think we got the best name. I mean, the only drawback there is the traveling. The word traveling, clearly that's like an illegal move in basketball. <laughs> well, so, I mean, look, like, here's the deal, right? Like it's Web3. I think we break the rules a little bit here and there. So if the ref doesn't call the travel, it's not a travel. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hear you. That makes sense. All right. Well, moving on to some of the other aspects here, let's talk about the logo there. Uh, I don't know if you can do a little zoom in on the logo, but I think what we decided to do is take our Edge of NFT logo, which actually kind of happens to be part of our overall Edge of Company logo, which we've had a lot of fun with. It's It does have a kind of a sporty theme to it. It's reminiscent of like the Adidas kind of or Nike, very simple, very energetic kind of three... What do we call them? We don't call them swoops, do we? What do we call those things? Those three, whatever they are, those three bars. Three, three swashes, you know? Yeah. 
So we were just going to go with that straight up, but I got a little creative. I got in there into some design software and I thought, let's get a little basketball imagery there. And at first it was just a kind of a basketball on that. That had its own appeal, but hey, why not throw in some stars, right? We are at the outer edge. We are traveling to the far reaches of the galaxy with everything we do. And it is cyber basketball players. So I think it all came together and a very special look at the branding, right? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, people are probably looking at our record as well. And you'll be glad to know that we started off 0 for 7. So we've won seven of our last nine games. So we are improving by the day. So check back later on that record. Awesome. Yeah. After getting our logo and our name together and making sure they align with our values, again, I think we're totally killing it on all those domains. We needed to name our first player. And we actually are not fully named yet on that first player. We do have three options out there in the social sphere for people to choose from. And so we want you to keep an eye out on the socials, keep an eye out for videos and content on our socials around everything we're doing with this Swoops team and make sure you get your vote in for the name. So Josh, you're a little bit more of a basketball fan for me. Why don't you explain the player that we wanted to name first and why? And let's take a look at what the three names are. Sean from production. I don't know if you could put those names in the chat so we can recall them or Josh, I don't remember if you have them on hand, but yeah, yeah tell yeah. us about the, the name. Well, He's a guard and he's pretty well-rounded. He's been getting a 23.7 points per game at a, with a solid 44.5% field goal percentage. That is legit. And he's crushing threes too, 40%, like my Celtics. He's clearly a well-rounded dude. Also does well at the free throw line at 77.8%. Let's see if we can improve that over time. So yeah, we got a well-rounded guy and definitely the all-star leader of our team at this moment. He's also not bad at passing the ball around. He's got four and a half assists per game. Beautiful. Well, we'll be looking out for more ways to get you out there in the audience involved. Make sure you put your vote in for the names we got on hand. Oh yeah. Do we have those names? I'm actually, I got a stall out on my computer here, so I can't see them right now. I remember we had, was it Tron Stockton, right? Yep. Tron Stockton. We also have Solidity Curry, which is, I think we all know where that's leading. And then there's one more gentleman, Gary Plasma, I believe is the third name. And we will have all these guys up for a vote among the community very soon. Beautiful. All right. Before we roll off, make sure we give a recap and let people know how to get involved here. We want to see you playing with us and rooting for us and maybe even competing with us. That's fine. But truly, we will be the winners. Let's get a little bit of that info about how to get involved. Super fun stuff. Pretending we're big shot basketball team owners. So uh, yeah, here's the deets for how you at home can get involved. Number one, sign up for the SSN1 presale. If you want to take on our squad, but you don't currently own a Swoopster, your chance to build the team is coming up. Swoops is introducing a brand new batch of players for owners only with the presale event happening very soon. If you're not an owner, to improve your chances of getting your hands on some of those never before seen players, go to playswoops.com, click presale and fill in the form to sign up for Swoops SSN1 presale event. Swoops sold out their SSN0 mint in 35 minutes. So get your name on that presale list. Secondarily, for those who do sign up for the presale, you'll have a chance at landing two limited edition five star Swoopsters, each of which will be randomly hidden within the first two days of the SSN1 Mint. Those swoopsters will be named Vector Wembotiama and Swoop Renderson. These two new swoopsters are based on the two most sought-after prospects in this year's NBA draft. Even the physical builds of each player will mimic these key draft picks. So keep glued to our socials and YouTube. You can see our team logo, players, and more. We are building this team towards a Swooper Bowl challenge. And if the Travelers are going to make the Swooper Bowl, we are going to have to win pretty consistently. Thanks for playing along, guys. We hope to see you there. Let's get on to the next segment. On to our next segment, hot topics. So today's hot topic is a special one featuring Jeremy Cowart. Here he, here he is. He came on camera. And if you're on the, listening on the podcast, he's in a very fashionable black and white frame with his with kind of some fun photo equipment behind him and whatnot. He is a renowned photographer with 15 years of experience. 
specializing in celebrity portraiture and global humanitarian photography projects. Before pursuing photography, he explored abstract painting and graphic design. Recently, these artistic mediums converged when Jeremy launched his debut NFT series, Block Queens, fusing his paintings, portraits, and drawings into fully interactive NFTs. The collection of 999 NFTs sold out in mere seconds in February 2022. Jeremy, now based in Nashville, Tennessee, is concentrating on various upcoming releases, encompassing both unique one-of-ones and generative works. Jeremy, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you so much, guys. It's good to be here. I'm honored. Yeah, yeah. It's This is so overdue, Jeremy. I'm really glad that our mutual friend, Chris Flight, reached out to us and told us what you're up to. It was great to have you at Outer Edge, breaking some ground with your unique photography style and approach. And now coming in hot is the Auras Project. Can you share its significance and what inspired it to come to life? Of course, on May 2nd, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be creating a 10K project live in front of an audience, start to finish in about 20 minutes without using generative code or AI. So all through analog methods. It was really just that core idea. My whole career, I've just followed ideas. And so I was like, man, I think I could create a 10K in 10 minutes. And so the live event is May 2nd. The Mint on OpenSea is May 9th, a week later. So it's a partnership with OpenSea and Transit Labs and Ken and all kinds of other cool people. But yeah, it's going to be basically a live art performance. I don't think this has ever been done in the NFT space to this degree. People have done live mints. There's human PFPs. But this mix of things has never been done where somebody creates it in front of the audience, start to finish, especially in just 20 minutes. And so I'm fired up. I'm nervous, but it's a lot of work, but it's going to be cool. NKPFP, 20 minutes. Yes, this is the criteria. JP, Justin, any thoughts? How would you do that? Do you have any ideas? Is there AI involved? Man, JP, it's taken us like a year and a half to do our 10K. I know. Well, we have a whole 12 hours of story that's uh, launching with it. So I'm excited to see that. If it reaches 21 minutes, does it implode and everything's for not? Auto self-destructs. <laughs> It'll actually take less than 20 minutes, but I'm saying 20 minutes to give me that extra time. But yeah, I'll be shooting with my camera. I'll be shooting myself. I'll be in a white mask all white projection suit of sorts. And so it really is performance art. And I'll have, I'll be shooting it at about 30 frames per second. So, you know, my camera will be going crazy. The images, the art projecting onto my face and body and on the $5 million, 130 foot LED volume screen behind me, the images will be projecting on that at the same pace, changing with the camera speeds and then all kinds of other crazy stuff happening as well. So it's going to be insane. That sounds boring. I'm sorry. I'm not. I don't know. That's plain. I haven't heard anything that creative. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. So tell us more about the process, the reasons behind pulling this off. Why do this? I mean, it sounds fun. It sounds exciting. But what prompted this? Man, for 20 years, I've just chased ideas. I just love pursuing crazy ideas. A lot of times they are humanitarian in nature. You know, I do a lot of hurricane, earthquake, wildfire relief projects. So I just go where the wind blows me in terms of ideas. And this time it was just that simple. It was like, man, 10K in 20 minutes. Like 10K is such an iconic number in our space. Obviously, I could do way less, but I just really wanted to do... It wasn't about money, I promise. It was just truly about, I think I can make this iconic piece of art, performance art in front of an audience and online audience. And I just kind of went with it. I just started, this was in January when I had the idea and pitched it, started sharing people and I got a production company on board and it's just kind of taken a life of its own. And I think people are excited. I think in our space with so much bad news and so much non-accounts and scams and all that, I think our space needs to see something transparent, like start to finish where we know what we're getting into we see the artist, we see the process. I keep saying that I'm not only doxed, but now I'm doxing my creative process. And because I really have been building this for 10 years and it will be the first time that I've ever revealed it publicly. So yeah, it's, it just feels like the right time. 
I love it, man. It kind of reminds me of sort of our process of co-creating where you just said, guys, I have this idea. It's never been done before. We're like, all right, let's go. It seems like that's just your MO, man. You just whip up these ideas and get partnerships together. And there we go. It happens. It's pretty awesome. I think Justin, JP, you guys got someone to consider if you need an amazing photographer, some of that co-creation stuff you're doing. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it just speaks to the idea that the barrier between artist and consumer of that artist is narrowing so much and allowing a community of fans into your creative process, I think is part of creating an engaged community around you as an artist and around your work. So I love that. I think it's awesome. There's a lot that's happening right now. I think generally in the space and Jeremy seemed to be pushing this forward of the idea that with AI getting so good now that you're going to need to understand what goes into the making of the thing and the documentation of the making of the thing. And people want insight into that. We're seeing that with stories in for Netflix and HBO, where not only are you getting into like the making and how this was made. I just went to the MoMA the other day and saw all of like the Pinocchio exhibit at the MoMA, which was super incredible. People are inspired by the creativity that goes into something, not just the final output. And understanding what goes into it actually makes the final output even more satisfying to the consumer. Yeah, I'm nodding my head so strongly because you're exactly right with this just insane onslaught of AI. Like I'm already at a point where on Instagram and other networks, I'm having to say like not AI, like I'm not anti-AI, but we can't lose sight of human intelligence of like hard work for 10 years. And you're right, like this project, that's the other reason why it's so important is to show that humans can still, you know, create insane things without depending on artificial intelligence with using our own intelligence. And so, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I'm very passionate about all things AI and, and kind of the dangers and the benefits that it's going to bring. But yeah, it's a big topic. But yeah, that is definitely a big part of why I decided to reveal the whole process live, start to finish. We're excited. And thanks in advance for giving our listeners two of these amazing NFTs that you'll be minting. So for those of you listening, tune in and pay attention to that. You're not going to want to miss a chance to have a piece of this incredible collection. And any additional details on... Folks need to know about where to go to keep tabs on this and participate. My website is just my last name, cowart.io. And so the URL for this whole thing is cowart.io slash Oris. And there's just an Oris link on my website if you click that. Then the live stream, if people want to remember, write this down, it'll be livestream.cowart.io. So that'll be where they can watch online. And then, of course, on my channels and socials, I'll be announcing all the details. But Discord is always giving me alpha things early that I'm brainstorming. I'm actually too bad about that. I'm like teasing and announcing things because it's just me, just a single artist. I'm not this big company. And so I share with my Discord when I'm like what I'm brainstorming, all that stuff. Amazing. Thanks for stopping by, Jeremy, and sharing what you're going to be creating with our audience. Really excited about this project and we'll keep tabs and I'm sure we'll have a chance to co-create again at some point in the future. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. See you, Jeremy. All right. Well, that's going to conclude our Hot Topics segment for today and we'll move on to what's next. And next up, we have a shout out segment featuring Justin and JP. We'd like them to give the listeners a little bit of a hint on kind of what's interesting in their world in terms of people and projects. I think you guys had some shout outs in mind that we'd like to give some love to. Uh, Justin, you want to have a hand at that? Yeah, sure. I'll first shout out Derek Edwards, who is one of our investors. He's probably been our most helpful investor to date from Collab Currency. You can see Derek on a lot of the Proof podcasts with Kevin. And so he's a prominent figure in the NFT space, knows just so much about culture and community building. And he's been our go-to in terms of vibe checks with how we are thinking about the release of the Disco Ball and the experience around the Disco Ball. And so huge shout out to Derek. Yeah, Derek's great. You know, he had an opportunity to have him moderate a panel with uh, Eric Calderon, Jack Butcher, Jen Stark, and Betty. He did a fantastic job having a conversation about culture. So totally echo what you're saying there. I was there. It was a great panel. 
Awesome. And then I think we have one more shout out. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll shout out an incredible creator, a good friend of mine. And I'm just so proud to know and an early believer in StoryCo, Lee Sung Jin, who goes, who I know as Sunny Lee. He created a show on Netflix uh, called Beef with uh, Steve Yoon and Ali Wong. And I think it's number one on Netflix right now. So I just think he's one of the best, most creative people that I've ever met. And I'm so happy for him. This is his first show that he's showrun. He's an advisor to the business as well. So I thank him for that. But yeah, I'll shout him out and just tell everybody out there to go watch Beef on Netflix. You don't have to tell Josh twice. Yeah, yeah. I binged that show in about four days. And what an original show with so many twists and turns. Incredible writing, incredible acting. I highly recommend that show. Definitely one to watch when it comes to award season, I think. For some reason, I envisioned Josh binging on beef while eating Korean barbecue beef. I don't know why, but I feel like that's totally your style. (laughs) I do like both. I live in LA and Korean barbecue is part of the culture. The double beef binge, we call it. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's the only way to watch it. Yeah, but not too close to bedtime because, man, it gets a little dark. Ethan, you're making JP hungry over here, man. Yeah, that just reminded me, too. I had forgotten about this. I'm like savoring it as I have the memory. After Outer Edge LA, we had a team late lunch and Leslie from the team, who's an expert in Korean food, bought us to an awesome Korean barbecue place. Oh, my God. It was the most incredible. You know what I love about the Korean food is they have lots of veggies too, right? Like it's got, you got the meat, but you got all those fresh veggies and rice and stuff. And it feels healthy, even though like your stomach kind of feels a little bit like stuffed. The oil it's cooked in is not healthy, but let's not disseminate any myths here. All right. Well, awesome shout outs. They always give us a reason to like tip the listener to something. They they might not be on their radar. So there will be more binging of beef in the near future, I'm sure. So that basically concludes the content of our show. And what we'll do now is just do a quick wrap up. What we want to do is make sure we get from you guys where people can go to find out more about you and your projects. So you can check out StoryCo on first Twitter. So go to StoryCo HQ on Twitter. There, you can also follow the Disco Ball, which is linked on the StoryCo Twitter page, which is Disco Ball HQ, or I think it's maybe the Disco Ball HQ. And then if you want to go sign up for a Story Pass, which is highly encouraged to get involved in the story itself, go to story.co, which is the domain forward slash Disco Ball. So story.co, if you want to learn more about the business, read our light paper, check us out, read more about the team and story.co forward slash Disco Ball to actually get into the Disco Ball, see the marketing page and experience of kind of how the story will unfold and more about the story and sign up for your story pass. Beautiful. JP, anything you miss? Are we good? Just grab your story pass and keep your eyes open, get in our Discord and I guess... Buckle the fuck up because it's going to be crazy ride. (laughs) I will be sleeping with one eye open, as they say in the famous Metallica song. I think that concludes pretty much everything. So we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. You can invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. I'll go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and hey, start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.